welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, motivate and educate others to make the world a better place. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the fantastic John Stapleton. Not only am I lucky to say that John is a very good friend of mine, but also he's had a fantastic career. I'm really looking forward to having him on the show. John is an entrepreneur, speaker, investor, advisor, and mentor. He provides a huge amount of value and added growth advice to the business community. He is the authentic entrepreneur with over 30 years worth of experience in pioneering new FMCG categories and establishing and growing successful consumer-led businesses in both the UK and the USA. John now actively manages an investor and non-executive director portfolio, contributing value-added business growth advice, guidance and mentoring to business owners. John's had first-hand experience in startup, early-stage growth, and high-scale-up businesses, having co-founded three FMCG businesses now, building, growing, each to a successful exit. John helps to design, create practical, experience-based solutions to problems, challenges, and opportunities that brand owners encounter in starting, growing, and scaling their companies across all areas of business. In 1987, John co-founded the New Covent Garden Soup Company, which pioneered and grew the fresh soup category in the UK, reaching over 20 million in revenue. Daniels PLC bought New Covent Garden Soup in 1998. In that same year, Joe co-founded Glencoe Foods to bring fresh soup concept to the US. And on returning to Europe, he established a consumer branded food consultancy and worked with a number of corporate and early stage growth businesses across the FMCG sector in the UK, US and continental Europe. More recently, he co-founded Little Dish, which supplies healthy, natural and convenient meals and snacks to children. So, welcome to the show today, John. Hello, Leila. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And, and, and following that wonderful introduction, I certainly, you know, I, I'm going to have to live <laughs> up to expectations, don't I? Wow. You do indeed. And since we're not on camera, I'm hoping that you're blushing a little bit today behind that microphone of yours. Hugely, hugely. Sorry you can see <laughs> <laughs> you never blush. I know you too well, John. Anyhow, it would be fantastic for all of our listeners who I'm sure probably know you already, but for those who don't, give us a little bit of an update on what you're doing at the moment. So I know that you've been doing quite a lot of uh, public speaking and, and speaking to the various different areas within government through from Brexit through to starting new businesses. Share with us what, what you've been up to recently. Sure. Thanks for that opportunity, uh, Leila. So yeah, I've been doing a lot more, I guess, things that I've done in the past, or at least at the same time. Whereas in the past, I've set up, as you mentioned, three different businesses. So Newcomer Garden Soup, Glencoe Foods in the States, and then Little Dish. Anybody who set up their own business or is part of a, a startup environment knows that you know it's a full-time job and you pretty much got to do that all of the time. So since we sold Little Dish a couple of years back and even before then, I've been doing a lot more varied things and, and that's been really interesting. Um, so I I suppose you could summarize what I do these days in a number of, number of ways, but particularly I help businesses grow. So I help either early stage growth businesses or startup businesses or businesses starting out on their own entrepreneurial journey 
grow. And that would typically be in the food and drink space or, or certainly in the FMCG world, because that's where my heritage is and you know what I know most about. And I do that, I probably say in two ways. As an investor, so I'll invest in businesses. And hopefully, you know, when I decide to invest in, in a business, I, I, I hope I can add some value to that business. So, so I will usually take a seat on the board and provide value added that way. Or I'll maybe have a more arm's length relationship with a business and I, I'll, I'll be an advisor. And I do it across, across a number of different businesses. There's four or five or maybe six now in, in the UK and around the London area, some in Germany where I, where I live, and then also some in Ireland where, where I'm from. And you know, there's a couple of different businesses I'll mention to you. Nicks and Kicks is a, is a startup drinks business. Spoon Cereals is an early stage breakfast cereal business. Capsicana is a, a Latin American sauce and flavor business. Primal Pantry make a range of wonderful uh, healthy snack bars. Uh, Wei Hei are involved with um, a number of different things, but probably better known for protein-based ice cream or low-calorie low ice cream. There was a, a few businesses that I'm involved with in, in London, um, in, in, in the UK. I'm also involved with Grocery Accelerator, which uh, kind of explains what it does uh, in, in its name. It accelerates small businesses, early-stage businesses into grocery so they can uh, grow through uh, positioning with major retailers. I help Bordbia quite a bit. Uh, Bordbia is the Irish Food Board, and uh, I'm involved with a number of programs there, typically as a business advisor, to help early stage businesses grow um, in uh, in the Dublin region. And outside of that, you touched on this as well, as well as being an investor and a, an advisor and, a, and I guess a mentor, I, I've got involved more and more recently um, in speaking about all of these things, or, or speaking, I suppose, mostly about my own entrepreneurial journey and the lessons I've learned from particularly the, the, the three businesses or that, that 30 years that, that, that went into between 1987, mm-hmm. which was the birth of New Covent Garden, and 2017, which was the, the sale of, of, of Little Dish. So you know, what I learned along the way and the mistakes I made and I guess some of the, the knowledge I've gained and what it meant to me in terms of that, those, you know, those three businesses and the 30 years experience I went into it. So I speak about a number of different themes along the the general focus of, of entrepreneurship, uh, learning, learning from your mistakes, turning uncertainty into competitive advantage, um, authenticity, um, and, and how you can turn failure to your, to your advantage. So, uh, you know, that's something recent that I've been doing more of, and I, I got a great kick out of that, and, and I got some great feedback from that too. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's even busier than it was before, which I can, can hardly believe, but it's a variety which is much more interesting for me these days. I don't think you're ever going to retire, are you, John? Retire? Oh, crikey. I'm not what sure what that really means. Mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm in a happy situation where I find what I do, which most people would call work, uh, really stimulating and really, um, really enjoyable. And uh, I, just, I, I just enjoy doing it. And, and okay, there are always up, you know, good days and bad days and always ups and downs. And when you set up your own business, certainly you have a few down moments and moments of introspection and you have to gather your thoughts and you know you've got a lot of challenges to overcome but it, it's always been it's always been great fun meeting those challenges for me at least and uh you know i like i like proving to other people that things can be done when they say they can't be done but most of all i like proving them to myself um mm-hmm. and and i think that's probably one of the one of the reasons that, that, that you know that motivates me to do to do more and more but what i do these days is more i suppose indirect through helping others, whether they're businesses or individuals or, or speaking to audiences. I'm actually really interested just to, to ask you a couple of points around the, the piece you just mentioned there, kind of proving things to yourself and the things that kind of keep you driven and motivated. Do you think that your 
incredible drive. And, you know, obviously I've known you for some time now, so I know how driven you are. You're, you're like a whirlwind doing lots and lots of different projects. And you've got this fantastic ability to be able to spin many, many plates. I wonder where did this come from? You know, was this something from your background or, you know, how, how you grew up, the kind of the young John when, uh, when he was at the beginning of his journey that kind of, you know, almost made you into the person that you are today? You know, were there, were there any kind of key moments in your growing up and in your earlier days that, that made you get to this point, you think, or, or want to reach this point? Well, uh, you know, that's a very large question and I think very open-ended question. Um, but, I, but I'm convinced that the answer is yes, somehow, because I think we're all, we're, we're all a function of or a summation of our experiences. Um, and I think, you know, I do talk about, and I mentioned there, uh, you know, within a certain context, um, authenticity. And, and if I just answer that question by, by saying that I, I think business leaders need to inspire. Now, that's nothing new in that. I think everybody, everybody understands that. If, you, if you're setting up your own business or you're leading a team, you know, you've got to bring people with you. In, in my world of FMCG, you, you, you've, got to convince, um, you've got to convince a buyer in a retailer to, to put your product on the shelf. And then you've got to convince a whole range of consumers to buy your product off the shelf. And you've got to convince shareholders to give you lots of their money so you can go and hopefully wisely spend it. And you've got to convince people to come and work for you, to, the, probably people that you can't afford uh, to pay very much. So you need to be inspiring and you need to explain what you're doing in a way that motivates them to, to come and follow you or to trust you or to put their faith in you or to give you their money or say that, okay, what you're saying is actually going to work. And I absolutely believe that inspiration and leadership, for that matter, comes from a place of authenticity. I mean, you, you, you can try to do it a different way, but I don't think... I don't think it'd work. I think you'd come unstuck. I think, you know, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but and, and all the people some of the time, but, but you can't feel, fool, fool all the people all the time. And more importantly, you can't fool yourself. You know, I, I, think if, I think about my sort of entrepreneurial journey. There's one thing I learned, and I'm not sure when it happened, because all of this is, you know, it's the wonderful benefit of hindsight here. But uh, I think it's true for many businesses, and well, I think it's true for all entrepreneurs, that when you set up your own business, there's a certain element of ego required to, to actually go and do it to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that, I mean that in a positive way mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you, you get so many knockbacks and you get so, to, told so many times it's not going to work that you have to kind of, uh, you know, you have to grow a thick skin and you've got to decide, you know, I'm not going to listen to that. I think I've got an insight here. I know my consumer. I know what the product does. I, I know this will work. Uh, I know it's also not going to be easy. But I'm not going to listen to the people who tell me that it won't work. A lot of the time, the person is sitting inside your own head telling you you're not good, it's not going to work. So you have to find a way to quieten that, uh, that doubter down. But the point about the story here, or the entrepreneurial journey, if you like, is that um, there comes a point where you can quite justifiably look back at your business and look back, let's say, you're I don't know, two years in. And you can say, I have got here because of B. Because that's true, because there's nobody else around. Everything that's happened is, you know, has happened because you've done it. So that's fine. You've taken this intangible asset inside your head and turned it into a tangible asset, which now you can see evidence of. And you've got some, some customers buying your product, for, for example. The big mistake that entrepreneurs make, because they think, okay, I've got this far by doing it my way or me doing everything. The biggest mistake they can make is thinking, right, now I'm going to carry on over the next two years, let's say, and doing it the same way. I think what you need to do as an entrepreneur is to ju- figure out at some point when you've got to stop being the doer and you will continue to do a lot of doing and start being more of a motivator. Um, start 
to inspire and to direct, bring people into your business, bring people into your business that actually are going to be better at certain things that you are, you know, experts in certain areas. Because if you don't, you're limiting the growth of business to your own potential, which is a crazy thing to do because nobody, nobody can be good at everything. And even if you thought you were, you've only got 24 hours in a day anyway. So you've got to bring people into your business. Mm-hmm. And that makes absolute sense. Yeah, but then you've got to find a way to, to direct them and to inspire them. Because um, if you don't do that, they're going to go off in different directions. So you've got to make sure you set a set of objectives, which is a vision, um, and, and you bring people with you. So I do think that you know, people do make mistakes sometimes that all that matters in business is your, is your business acumen. Um, but there's a lot of things you can learn and leverage from being, uh, you know, from learning before you were in business. So learning from being a child or learning from being, you know, a younger person. So I think a lot of your, your early life experiences go into your personality. And that's where I think authenticity comes from. So mm-hmm. to come back to the beginning of the story is, you know, leverage your authenticity if you want to be effective and want to inspire properly. And so think about the lessons you learned when you were a child, you know, and think about what happened when I grew up on a farm, for example, in the west of Ireland. And so there's some very gritty lessons mm-hmm. that you learn uh, being, being on a farm. I'm not saying you don't learn them in other places, but for me, it was... Uh, for me, I took it for granted because you always take it for granted what your childhood tells you. Um, but then you realize that it's not always the way. That not everybody doesn't have those certain types of lessons. But everybody has certain lessons that they can learn from. And I think that's what your personality is. I think too many of us sometimes want to leave our personality at the door. I want to believe I've got to put on a front here to be a business person, whatever that might be, and act in a certain way because everybody is expecting me to act in a certain way uh, and to have all the answers. And I think it's okay to not have all the answers. In fact, put it this way, it's okay to wing it because, you know, winging it <laughs> is a great asset. And in fact, you know, I think if you look around, you'll find most people are winging it most of the time and, and the successful people are actually winging it the best. So, uh, so that's okay. You don't have to have all the perfect answers. And I think ultimately you just need to allow yourself to be yourself. And of course it needs a bit of courage to do that, but, but fall back on your personality and fall back on your authenticity. And I didn't realize that on day one, but I've learned it over certainly the early years of New Covent Garden, that it can be a great asset. Tell me a little bit about the gritty lessons that you learned from growing up on the farm in Ireland. I'd love to learn a little bit more about this because, you know, everything you said around the, the areas of, of kind of being authentic and, 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 you know, kind of breaking down the barriers, putting on the front that we feel we have to do in business, being able to kind of inspire and then direct and bring people in that are better than us. You know, all of that makes absolute sense and that resonates such a lot as a female founder you know myself but would love to learn a little bit more about the young John and the the kind of gritty lessons that you learned you know from the family as well because I know that you know you're very close with your mum too well true yeah absolutely my mum and well my mum and my dad both both worked you know so so I I came from a background where it was quite it was really quite normal for me at any rate because I grew up in a family where, where both parents worked but my mum actually took a leading role in uh, role in many of the I suppose non-traditional certainly you know in the rest of Ireland in in that environment non-traditional approach to you know financial and family commitments and my mom's a teacher and my dad was a a farmer and but it it seemed perfectly normal to me because again as a kid you don't have any you don't know uh, anything else you don't have any other uh, frame of reference so so I grew up believing it was quite normal for, for a woman to take the lead and play a central role in the family and then go out to work and do all the things with which she did at work as well so it was a bit of a surprise to me, if you like, when I realized that this wasn't always necessarily the way it happened and, and wasn't always replicated throughout society. 
And um, I'm not sure if I felt it was a burning need to have to try to help rectify this, but I did think there was an injustice. I thought, I thought well, I'll tell you what I thought. I, I thought it's kind of really silly because if you were a, a general, right, and you were heading off to, to fight a war or fight a battle with somebody, and then you purposefully had to leave all of your ar- or half of your army at home, you couldn't take half of your army with you to go and fight this battle. You were forced to take just half of it. Wouldn't that be a bit ridiculous? Wouldn't that be really mm-hmm. crazy? Wouldn't that be a situation where you think, well, I'm not leveraging all of my capability here. I'm not mm-hmm. taking advantage of everything that I possibly could. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm carving out half of my potential. So I've got to rely on my success coming from the other half of my potential. And, and that's how I saw it. I, I just thought, well, how crazy is that? Why, why, why would anybody purposefully and we're talking about the case of you know, female participation in the workforce, for example, or in fact in, in, any, in any context in society. Why would it be, be an advantage to do it that way? So I just didn't never really understood that. Um, and, and I guess that, you know, I kept coming back to that argument that I had in my own head. Well, that's ridiculous and that's silly. And why would we do it that way? So let's find another way to do it. And, you know, I don't, I don't campaign from the barricades about this, but I certainly just in little ways try to do what I think is the right thing to do for the benefit of me or the benefit of my business or the benefit of my situation. You know, it's not a purely altruistic um, motivation here, but there are so many benefits that it would be crazy not to do it that way. Uh, And I guess that's what I, you know, that's how I approach it. Absolutely. So really what you're saying, and, you know, and I know that this is prevalent in a number of your successful businesses and existing businesses that you're working in right now, is actually that diversity of thought and that diversity of, you know, in this case, gender diversity, very, very important. Talk to me a little bit more about some of the female founders that you've helped and, you know, have you noticed any kind of any differences? I know for you, obviously, this is this is very, very normal. And, you know, I really love the story about your mum taking the leading role, especially when it comes to finance and things like that. I think that is just a really lovely, lovely story. But talk to me a little bit about some of the, you know, if you noticed any kind of, you know, certain idiosyncrasies between, you know, the males and the females that you've coached, and the different types of people at all. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I wouldn't say I go out of my way to to only coach or to only invest uh, to only coach females or to only invest in businesses that are run by females. Or, or certainly not the case because I I believe that you know there 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 clearly benefits from both. Um, I, I you know what I guess the best situation might be where you've got a co-founder who's male and a co-founder who's female, because then you get, frankly, the best of both worlds. Um, it's a very lonely environment being a founder. Oh, of absolutely. Um, you know, um, and I, you know, I don't want to make a big play out of this, but it is lonely, and you just got to accept that and find a way to make it less lonely. And okay, it's great if you can, you know, a, a problem hard is a problem, a problem shared is a problem solved, or whatever the, the term is. It's like you can you can bounce ideas off each other, and you can find ways to solve problems before they, they become problems. And you have to have trust in each other and confidence in each other. And it's great if you have uh, if one of you is male or one of you is female, because one and the other bring a whole bunch of different perspectives to any scenario. So I. I think, I think that works really well. I've always set up my businesses probably through accident <laughs> more than design with another person, with, with another co-founder. So in the case of Newcomer Garden, it was with Andrew. That was years and years ago, 1987. Senko Foods in the States, it was with Alistair. And then with Little Dish, it was with, with Hillary. And, you know, I think we all had strengths to bring and weaknesses to compensate for and roles to play. And we played out of role many times and wore each other's cap etc and i remember because i live in munich and the business we set up uh, hillary and i set up we're based in london so you know, i was you know it was difficult for me to get there 
very frequently, but I was there every single week, Monday to Thursday, every single week. And Hillary played a huge role in the early years of, of covering for areas that maybe I couldn't cover for because I wasn't there, you know, seven days a week, which is what, which is what a, a startup business was like. And then later in our, in our time, you know, Hillary had two young kids who were, you know, both boys, both under school going age, which meant it was pandemonium in her home. I'm not sure sure how she coped at all but she pulled back slightly so I filled a little bit of a vacuum there uh, a vacuum there so you know we covered for each other and we compensated for each other's weaknesses and played for each other's strengths and I think that's what any partnership would, whether it's in business or otherwise would want to do but I think a male-female combination is is inherently a stronger combination in, in terms of the number of businesses that I help these days whether it's as an investor or as a an advisor or as a mentor um, I, I find the female side of things, it's incredibly full of, it, it, there's a rich seam which goes very, very deep in terms of ability, which isn't always apparent from the surface. Whereas I think there tends to be, this is a gross generalization, so the, the minute I say it is probably, you probably think that's not always true, but of course it's not always true. But I can see that, you know, men tend, tend to not have a problem of, you know, putting them forward, themselves forward for a situation which they're completely and utterly unprepared for, <laughs> whereas women will, <laughs> women will, they think twice about it, maybe, and think, well, hang on, I'm not quite prepared for that. So let's go and do a bit of research or let's get somebody else's help or let's get, yeah. Whereas men just go, okay, let's go and do it. And of course, you need to have a bit of both. You can put all your life preparing for a situation or preparing to launch a business or preparing to launch a brand and never actually do it. And at the same time, you can, you can jump headlong into a situation and be completely unprepared for it. And a little bit of work <laughs> might have gone down, gone down well. But, um, Certainly all of the female entrepreneurs that I work with are extremely talented. Sometimes they may need to, need to be a little bit, uh, need to have a little bit more encouragement to, mm-hmm. to, to do certain things because they feel slightly outside of their, their remit. Mm-hmm. And setting up a business, setting up a business if you haven't done it before, guess what? It's completely outside of your remit because you've never done it before. I've been lucky to work with people across the board who are very, very capable. I see benefits of both. And like I say, if the team has a healthy mix of, in this case, male, female, or you know, ethnic backgrounds or whatever might be then that you could always get and um, play to play to your strengths you know i think for me diversity is all about understanding that there's a wealth of inputs available from having a diverse background and that leads you to typically having the best answer to any question you might need to tackle so if it's in the fmcg world you know like what are the consumer needs what does the consumer want how do we best communicate to the consumer how do we meet the needs of our consumer all those questions are much better answered by a range of attitudes, a range of, of, of approaches, rather than just me or one or two other people saying the same thing. And in business generally, I think the whole team dynamics of having uh, a rich background of diverse influences and different strengths uh, leads you to finding different ways to consider a problem or to consider an opportunity for that matter. You pretty much just answered my next question, actually, which was, what is diverse and inclusive leadership to you? And really, I absolutely agree. You know, it is it's understanding that there are a wealth of different impacts, you know, and actually, you know, we all can bring something to the table and having those rich differences actually can often bode in finding the solution to a problem in a better way or to innovation. What about the inclusion piece? What does that mean to you? And have there been any specific kind of instances where actually the DNI piece has played itself out particularly well? Yeah, absolutely. There have, and I'm, and I'm just thinking which which might be the best example to use here. I mean, as a... I know you have many. <laughs> well, the the thing about a small business or a startup business is you often don't have the time to have 
a lot of resource to put uh, either the time or the resource to put into de defining policies and saying we are going to stand for this and we're going to be for that. I think you just get on with a lot of stuff. I think you need to have uh, a strong vision and a strong understanding of what direction you're going in. Um, but of course, you have a lot of the proof is in the pudding and a lot of all you can talk all you like about this is what we do and this is what we aspire to doing. But if you don't actually do it, it rings very hollow. Um, you know, I think so diversity and inclusion has a place right at the director's table and right up at the top in terms of any policy that any business uh, cares to, you know, cares to purport. In small businesses and startup businesses, we don't always get the time to actually be very clear about uh, you know, to, to have a very specific policy. But I think the, the, the point of it is we don't need to. We just need to actually implement it and do it. And for me, if you take diversity and inclusion together for a moment, you know, if you ask what is it to me, I, I think the best way to answer it is to say, well, first of all, let me tell you what I believe it's not or what it's not about. It's, mm -hmm. it's not about ticking boxes. It's not about ticking off numbers. It's not about achieving a quota or it's not about having labels attached to things. That's not what it's about. I mean, it can help along the way, but that's only a tiny part of it. But mm -hmm. me, for me, it, it's much more in diversity context, what I just explained before, but, you know, understanding that there's a wealth of inputs and knowledge there which you can draw upon to, to, have a better, to be better equipped to, to deal with any problem or to deal with any, any opportunity. And from an inclusion point of view, that all comes down to the culture of the organization. You know? um, and as long as the culture of the organization recognizes the benefit of diversity, then everybody gets it really quickly and gets on with doing it, as opposed to have to agonizingly discuss how we go about doing it. It's, it's, it's always so obvious. I mean, I, I, if I go back to Little Dish, what are the early stage statements of culture, if you like, we had was, was creating a supportive environment where we can all be demanding of each other. And people used to say, hang on, you got the word supportive and demanding in the same sentence. How does that work? <laughs> and I would say, well, it, well, actually, it works very well because, you know, we have to have a supportive environment. Okay, good. So we're all going to support and generate an environment where we can support each other to do something which means that we're going to be demanding of each other. So demanding really is the word for respect as far as I'm concerned. So if you have, you know, we're all trying to do certain things and there's only a few of us in a small business. We don't have great resources. We're all trying to do stuff that we don't ever have enough time to actually get done. So we have to be respectful of people's time and priorities and resources. So you know, little things, it, it boils down to behaviors at the end of the day. We, we can all have, we can all fly the flag for diversity and inclusion, but it boils down to little things that happen on a daily basis, which build up to say, yeah, everybody actually believes that they're part of an organization they feel proud to be part of, and they can see on a daily basis where diversity and inclusion belongs. That's really the important thing. It's things like, I have a meeting, therefore I'm going to invite only the people necessary to the meeting, and I'm going to have a, an agenda which goes out two days ahead, and I'm going to have a pre-read, and people are going to be prepared, we're going to come in, we're going to have 45 minutes, we're going to make a decision, and then we're going to go all off and implement that. Now, they might say that's nothing to do with diversity and inclusion, but we're going to do it in a way that includes everybody and make sure that, we are, that, that we're focusing and dealing with the topic, and we're not going to waste people's time, and we're not going to upset the, the, um, the agenda. And if we have to have a situation whereby somebody has to have, you know, doesn't have childcare, well, and, and it's a female or a male for that matter, then they can zoom in, uh, like we're doing right now. We can, they can zoom in to, to the meeting and, and take place in the meeting remotely. Because we've done the work before, because we've done the preparation, everybody knows what they're meant to be talking about. Everybody's prepared. And we don't have this old school thought that everybody has to be in here at eight o'clock and not leave before six, and I want to see everybody working hard. Well, 
we'll focus more on the outputs and we focus more on the performance and less on the method by which we uh, anecdotally decide people are working on it. I, I think, think that's, that's absolutely critical. Helpful. Social mobility, in essence, especially these days, what with millennials, millennials, and individuals and businesses, I think demanding more flexibility. You're absolutely right to say, really, we need to be focusing on that output. And provided there is the dedication, the inclusive culture where people do want to include and involve others in the way that they may be able to fit it into their time, that preparation piece is key. You know, absolutely agree with you on that point. Just a little conscious of time here. Um, I just wanted to ask you another couple of quick questions, if that's okay. But um, who is it that kind of has inspired you, I I suppose, most throughout your career and even life? And are there any particular favorite heroes or or sheroes, as I I like to call them, that have particularly inspired you or that you're listening to a lot of at the moment? That's a really interesting question. And I'll start by saying, you know, if I had taken my own advice when I was much younger, it should be an awful lot better for me. <laughs> I might have figured out a way not to have made so many mistakes and, and have to learn from them repeatedly. And by that, by the way, Leila, I mean, I would have really benefited from getting a mentor myself when I was much younger. And I, I never saw much of the value in it, or I never had the time to do it because I believed I should be focusing on doing, doing, doing. And I certainly, I could have learned a, a few lessons along the way without having to make the mistakes myself and having to learn them myself. Um, so it's very interesting when you ask me, you know, who are my kind of role models going along in terms of the early days in, in particular. And, you know, it's actually, I'm going to, what I'm going to do here is, I suppose, to come back to something we were saying earlier about, about leveraging your early life experiences and, and the, the fact that, I guess, all of your experience and what you learned that you can put to good use in your business doesn't always come from business. So your business acumen is not the only thing that's important. In fact, I would go as far as say is that, you know, I probably learned more that I can leverage and make use of in terms of being successful as a business person way before I ever started to be a business person. Uh, probably as, a, you know, when I was a young, a young child and, and a teenager growing up. And in answer to your question, who might have inspired me most throughout my career or my life, I'd want to pick up on the life bit because I think life overshadows career. You know, you've got a much longer life and much more multi, multidisciplinary life than, than you do a career. And, and I would say that my coach, because I used to be a track and field athlete, and my coach uh, way back in the early... Yes, I can't believe I never knew that. You never knew that. Later, here's something you don't know about me. I don't <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let me, let, me, let me tell you the story then, because maybe, you know, it, it, it might be of interest to some of your listeners. So yeah, back absolutely. in the day, yeah, when I was at school and when I was at university, I, I used to be a pretty nifty uh, triple jumper. I used to do triple jump and I used to do long jump. And I was a bit better at a triple jump. And I used to represent Ireland, for example, at many levels, including senior level. And back in, uh, oh, crikey, 1984, I was 19 or 20. And I, was asp- I, I, I aspired to get into the, the Irish Olympic team. I was, I was close enough to get to the Olympic team. I thought I was good enough to get to it. But I certainly in 84, the LA Olympics, I thought I had a good shot at going there. Or at least a shot at going there. And, and I really enjoy those years, by the way. I, 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 you know, I benefit hugely from that whole experience, not just in terms of training and not just in, 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 in terms of going to faraway you know, locations, but self-confidence and self-belief and the whole discipline of training in itself and, and the whole understanding of the relationship between application and reward. And, and, and I guess the responsibility for being in a very small context, a bit of a role model myself to, to others. 
but, but back in 1984, I, w- I was training with the national squad and injury struck early in the season. And long story short, you know, I injured my ankle and had to get, uh, had to get cortisone injections in it and I had to get all sorts of treatment for it in the hopes I could, I could still compete. But I never made the cut. I never actually got to the Olympics. And, and I remember my coach coming to me and saying to me, and I always could tell because I knew I was injured myself, but I was just hoping that uh, there'd be a way out of this problem. And my coach said to me, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow, John, but, but you know, you're, I, this is something you absolutely have to do. You can either sit here and, and wallow in self-pity all summer long, but you know, <laughs> where, where is that going to get you? Um, you can, so you can either waste time feeling sorry for yourself or you can get back on track when, you're, when your ankle heals up and start training for next year again. And, and I felt, oh, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. I was, I was thinking, you know, that's making this all about me. And I was thinking, it's not about me. It's, um, it's about something else because I've done everything right. I've trained properly. I had a fantastic season last season. I've, I've done all the work that I needed to do it. And life's not fair. And, of course, this is the whole point of it. Um, I was trying to make this about being, being about somebody else or something else or having something else to blame and say life isn't fair. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be fair. Nobody said it would be fair. And, and so if, if you think life isn't fair is the answer to not doing anything, then you're in for, in for a, a rude awakening. Because as an entrepreneur, life is, is going to appear to be unfair every single day because, you know, you're trying to do things differently. You're trying to do things in a new way. You're uprooting trees and you're knocking down, crashing through walls and you're being a disruptor. Yeah? So, you know, that's what entrepreneurialism is all about. It's doing things differently or maybe doing things that nobody else has ever done before. So guess what? You're going to get a lot of a lot of obstacles in your way. You're going to get a lot of hurdles. You're going to get a lot of people saying, no, it doesn't work or it can't work and don't be stupid. This, will, you know, this, this just can't work. If, if it was going to work, somebody would have done it by now type of argument. And you need to, as I said at the outset, you need to grow a thick skin and say, uh, okay, I can deal with that and get over those problems. And I guess there's many, many other examples of how I learned that lesson before I had to in a business environment. But that was one that I can remember very vividly being told in that early summer's uh, day back in 1984 um, that no I'm not going to go to the Olympics and all my mates are going to go it's nothing to do with you you've done nothing wrong it's just not fair and you know, that's a lesson that I've taken forward with me I guess over and time and over again that that uh, don't hide behind being fair don't treat yourself like you're the victim um, put it behind you and move on and the more setbacks you get or the more no's you get I think the more chances that you're going to get a yes sometime soon and, and by the way, you know, the more times you're told no, I think it also indicates that you're onto something, you're onto something quite interesting, you're onto something worthwhile. So uh, it was a little lesson I learned then. And, you know, I think nothing to do with business whatsoever, but at the same time, everything to do with business. Do you know what? What an incredible note to, to kind of come to a close on. That is such a lovely story. I've learned something completely new and I thought I knew nearly everything about you so i'm absolutely delighted that you shared that with me and also with all of our listeners there and i know that that will inspire many many people um to get up and go i I think that's brilliant so just to summarize for, for everyone who's listening the more times you hear no actually do you know what that is a great thing and absolutely you may well be onto something. Embrace those knockbacks and, and kind of really keep pushing forward because, do you know what, as you've said, John, you know, as an entrepreneur and certainly a business owner or others who work in businesses, you know, life doesn't appear to be fair a lot of the time. But you know what, what are you going to do about it? You know, you're going to waste time feeling sorry for yourself. You're going to get back 
up on track and keep on going because certainly it's worked for you, John, and I know it can work for, for many, many others as well. Um, just a couple of key pieces that I actually kind of picked out and I've written down here from our conversation that I'd just like to quickly summarise. But again, I will put all of this onto the show notes and onto the website as well. For those of you who are out there who are listening and trying to find solutions to problems, perhaps you're a business owner, perhaps you're working within a business, find people around you who are going to be supportive and who do understand perhaps you and some of the, the, the challenges you might be facing. Exactly, it's okay to not know the answer to things. There's only kind of, you know, harm in, in not asking. So don't be scared or frightened to go and find yourself a mentor. Obviously, John is available. So if you can get in contact with him as well, finding yourself a mentor, you know, absolutely fantastic way to kind of get on in life and in business. Keep taking those knockbacks because you know what, actually, you'll pull through in the end. And if you keep on going and you work hard, get yourself back up again, you know, like John did, you know, we didn't get to the Olympics, but you know what, look where he is right now. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic, fantastic career. So I'm sure sure there's many people that have been inspired and just one last thing as well 1984 John that was two years before I was born um just putting that one out there <laughs> thank you so much for that, for that juxtaposition comparison that's, that's all I need that's all I need to hear <laughs> oh goodness me have to have a little giggle. Have to have a little indeed. giggle. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, but listen, I mean, uh, you know, just just just, just wrapping up. Uh, you know, I think you know what you just said there is is a really nice way to summarise it. Uh, uh, absolutely, and and I'm I'm not a great one for 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 quotes, by the way, but this one sticks in my mind because somebody mentioned it just the other day, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it goes like you know. So the only way to avoid criticism or or, or setbacks or failure is to a do nothing, b say nothing, and c be nothing. And all I'd say is that's not a great recipe for success in, in business or life for that matter. So I think that's just the way to look at it. I love that. I love that. And excuse the pun as well, because obviously you are and um, do a huge amount in food as well. So I, I love that. <laughs> I do love your sense of humor. Thank you so, so very much for being on the show. And thank you so much for sharing those personal stories as well. I, I think they're really very, very powerful. And for everyone who, who's listening at home or in the office, do check out John's website, www.johnstapleton.eu. Or you can email John. I have his personal email address here, which I'm going to share. So, John, I'm sure you'll be overflowed with emails afterwards. John at stapleton.eu. But um, in case you didn't quite get that, don't worry, because I'm going to put it all into the show notes on the website. And, you know, of course, you, you can listen to the podcast there. You can download it on Apple or on, on any of the other providers uh, that you like as well. So visit www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast. You've been listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders with myself, Layla McKenzie. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you again in a fortnight. <laughs>